chapter 21 of the book of Revelation. One of the shows that Nancy and I love to watch on HGTV is called Fixer Upper. Fixer Upper with uh, uh, Chip and uh, Joanna Gaines. It's where in Waco, Texas, this couple, and they seem to be Christians. I think they're Christians. They didn't say anything, but they have such a rich, warm sense of humor. If you haven't had a chance to see that program, it's really good. And they take, in Waco, Texas, they help these clients. They buy these destroyed houses, and they just make them alive. It's like once it was a piece of junk, and now it's brand new. It's just, just a beautiful program to watch with a little bit of humor, and it's a very delightful show and good family uh, show that you can all watch together. Now, uh, 16 years ago, Nancy and I brought a fixer-upper. <laughs> and uh, it's almost fixed up. <laughs> almost. Almost fixed up. Uh, but it's a work in progress, amen? Just kind of like us. Now, the Lord, however, is going to do something different. After the second coming of Christ, after the millennial reign, after the great white throne of judgment, everything's settled, uh, he's not going to do it fixer-upper on this old earth and this universe. He says he's going to do what? Make everything new. He's going to make it new. Now, it's not because this earth and uh, the universe is old and tired and needs to be thrown out. But the reason he's going to do this is because what he wants to do is he wants to show us what's in, been in his heart from the very beginning. What he wanted from the very beginning for us. So he's going to not take this old beat up earth and make it new. He's going to make something brand new. Now as you read this chapter, there's a lot of stuff in here you're thinking, what? What? Now you have to remember, this is not the age that we're living in. This is a brand new thing. Brand new going to be completely different, something that we've never experienced before. So you've got to read this book with just, okay, now he doesn't give us a lot of details in these last two chapters, but he's going to present something that is way beyond some of our understanding, but we just allow him to do this thing because it's expressive of what has been in his heart all along for you and for me. So... Um, we're going to jump around the chapter, so what I thought I'd do is I'd read all 27 verses. It's a little bit long read, but just to get the flavor of everything uh, that's in his heart. So let's read the passage. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There is no longer any sea. And I saw a holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, no longer any mourning, crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life 
without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues came and spoke to me and saying, Come here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, a stone of clear crystal jasper. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And the names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. The city was laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its width. And he measured the city with the rod, 1,500 miles. Its length, width, and height are equal. And he measured its wall, 72 yards, according to the human measurement, which is also angelic measurement. The material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone, the first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth crystophase, the eleventh yacinia, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each gate was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it for the glory of God has illuminated it and the lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by the light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean and no one who practiced abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Wow. Now, Second Peter speaks of this time. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, the day of the Lord is that that time when he begins to bring in the new age, it begins with the rapture of the church and it continues right on through what we read in chapter 22. It's the day of the Lord. It's him making it right. It begins like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. What Peter has spoken here is we find here in Revelation 21. 
Uh, since all these things are being destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for the hastening and the coming of the day of God, because in which the heavens will be destroyed with burning and intense, and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven, new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Okay. Going back to our chapter. There's four things that we're always that we see in this chapter that were always expressive of what God wanted to do. What he wanted to do right from the start. It kind of got derailed in Genesis chapter 3, but you have to understand what God has in his heart, nobody will ever frustrate. Did you know that? Nobody's gonna ever frustrate God. And so what we see in this chapter was what? is expressive of everything that God always wanted to do with us. Let's take a look. The first thing in verses 3, 22 through 25, is the Lord desires to be in the midst of his people. The Lord's always wanted to be with his people. He just didn't want to create us and then kind of run off to the backside of the universe and let us figure it out ourselves. He always wanted to be among his people. That was his desire. It says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, what? In the cool of the day, God was walking among in the garden. He wanted to fellowship with Adam and Eve, his creation. And it would seem, most people think, that this is not just a one-time event, but it was something that he did on a continuous basis. He wanted to be with his creation. Now, in the New Testament, we have something a little different than what's found in the Hebrew Scriptures. In the Hebrew Scriptures, the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. He was in the temple. However, in the New Testament, according to Colossians 1.27, that it is Christ in you, Christ dwelling in us, not just around, hanging around in the temple and outside the camp, but actually in us, Christ in us, Christ in us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, in these verses, what we see here, uh, God dwells with his people. He's right in the midst of the people. There's no need for a temple. There's no need for sun and moon because his holiness lights up the whole city. Now, it's not saying there is no sun and moon. It's just saying it's not needed because something completely different. This city is lighted by the very presence of God. Because what? Because the Lord always desired to be right there among us, living among us. Now, there have been occasions over the years where I have done, I like to do little wood projects, you know, a shelf or a table or something, and I've done them, and they didn't come out too well, but they were mine. I made them myself. And so oftentimes, after they were finished, after they were all sanded and stained, I'd go over there and just lay my hands on them and feel them and be, you know, it was because I made it. Uh, you parents, you remember when you had your first baby? Remember when they were all bathed and, and all, you just couldn't keep your hands off those little puppies. You wanted to smell them and kiss them and rub them and touch them. Well, that's a small expression of what God has always wanted to do with us. We're like his kids. He wants to touch us. He wants to smell us. He wants to kiss us. He wants to hug us. He wants to be in the midst of his people. Now, Psalm 1611 says, thou will make known to me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand are what? 
pleasures forever. That expresses what God has always wanted to do for us. But it's not only what he does for us, but he gets joy. He gets a sense of just being with his creation, laying his hands on us and smelling us and touching us and kissing us. It's very intimate. He's always wanted to be with his people. Now, we shouldn't frustrate the Lord's desire. We shouldn't frustrate. The, and it begins with us receiving Christ. That's where it begins. This whole thing kind of concludes with chapter 21 and 22 of the book of Revelation. But it begins when we say yes to Christ and we invite him in. Christ in us, the hope of glory, the hope that's presented here in 21 begins when we say yes to Jesus. Why would you want to frustrate that? Why would you want to say no to God? When he so longs to take you in his arms and to be with you and to minister to you and to love you and kiss you and hug you. You're his creation. Speaks of his love in that fact that he sent his only son to die for you so that he might be with you. Why would we say no to that? Why would we say no to that? The Lord always desired to be in the midst of his people. Second thing we see, his second desire is found in verses 4 through 7. The Lord desires to give his people eternal life. The Lord desires to give his people eternal life. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, it tells us there was a provision for life. Do you remember? The tree of life. Now, in the beginning, God said to Adam and Eve, he says, you can eat of any tree you want. But don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that tree. But what did they do? They ate of that tree. Right? But the tree of life was there. They could have eaten it from it. They could have eaten from it. As a matter of fact, after they fell and after they disobeyed God, he had to move them out of the garden so they wouldn't eat from the tree of life and have eternal life. It was there. It was there just a touch away. Now, here's my belief. I believe that if they had said, Satan, take a hike. <laughs> what? We're gonna eat. No way are we going to do this. I don't think God would have allowed them to be constantly tempted for the rest of their life. I don't believe that was his plan. You know what I believe? That if they had said no to Satan, they would have been confirmed in their righteousness. Why do I say that? Because do you remember the fall of Satan and he took some angels with him? Do you remember that? It says that Christ did not die for the angels. It says that in Hebrews chapter 2. Because the angels can't be saved. The angels who left with Satan, they cannot be saved. They were confirmed in their unrighteousness. That means the angels that stayed with God were confirmed in their righteousness. And they cannot be lost. I believe that would have happened to us. The human race, we'd have been confirmed in our righteousness and we would have went directly from Genesis chapter 2 and skipped everything that's written in this book. That was God's plan in the beginning to give us eternal life. Why do I say that? Because the Bible tells us that the lake of fire, that hell, was prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Not for you, not for me. That wasn't his plan. But we said no. And so we've gone on this little rabbit trail and we've done our little thing. But sooner or later, 
He's going to bring his plan to pass. Eternal life. That's what he's wanted. Now, when Jesus came, he did many things, amen? He healed a lot of people. He preached some pretty great sermons, better than we'll ever do. He brought his disciples. He gave them instruction concerning the church. And he was a powerful example of what it was to be a man of God, amen? But the one thing, aside from all those as good as they were, the one thing he did, why did he come? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have eternal life. That's why he came. That's the number one reason why Jesus came to give us eternal life. Because God has always wanted to give his people eternal life. That was the original plan right from the start. Right from the start. Now all of us who are parents... The one thing we want to long to do is do what? Is to launch our children out. Don't, we, don't you want to see that? You want to see your children be more successful. You want to see them grow and prosper and be everything that, they could, that you'd want them to be. Isn't that in your heart? You know where that comes from? That comes from God. It comes from God. Now, um, my grandfather, on my father's side, came to this country as a nine-year-old boy, penniless from a know-nothing town just south of Naples in Italy. Didn't have a penny in his pocket. And he, back in the late 1800s, or early 1900s, the Italians didn't get the best jobs back then. They got the entry-level positions. And so he kind of was a, he was a trolley car conductor and worked a lot of menial jobs. He had eight kids. Out of those eight kids came 24 kids, 24 grandchildren. Out of that, numerous great-grandchildren. And one of his grandchildren, my son Michael, I'll brag a little bit, first PhD in the Travisano family, became a PhD professor at the University of Minnesota. My grandfather has a great-grandson who's a, who's a professor in a college, and he started with next to nothing. In his heart, he would be proud of all the Travisano kids, especially Michael, who went further than he would ever have a chance. In his heart, he came to America to do that thing, to make his family a better life. That's in the heart of God. Now, in the same way, the Lord wants to do something for us. Now, we can't be better, from God, better than God, can we? But there's one thing that he's always wanted to give us, He's wanted to give us a small piece of him, which is what? Eternal life. Now, he's, he ever was and he'll ever live, but he wanted to give us just a small piece of him. And what's that? That we could live forever, forever. That has always been in his heart. It's always been in his heart because God desires to give his people eternal life. Now, in 1 John 5, 13, it says... These things I have written to you that you might know that you have eternal life. You see, being a Christian is more than just believing a series of doctrines, although that's important, believing that which is right. It's, it's more than just assuming and accepting a state of a theological state statement. It's having eternal life. It's having 
God with you. Why would you frustrate that? Jesus said, the thief, that's the devil, comes to steal, lie, and kill. But I've come to have, that you might have life and life more abundantly. It starts here when we open our lives to Christ and it is fulfilled in what we see here in, Je- in Revelation 22, 21 and 22. Eternal life. Life with God eternally. The Bible says when we see Jesus, we will be like him. Not our dear Mormon friends have got it wrong. We're not going to become gods, but we will be like him. We'll have a body that will live forever, free of sin and disease. Even as it says, all things will be new. There'll be no death. There'll be no mourning, no crying or pain. The first things, that's what we're experiencing now, have what? Passed away. (laughs) Passed away. Couldn't be any better. So the Lord desires to be in the midst of his people. The Lord desires his people to have eternal life. Thirdly, in verses 2, 8, and 27, the Lord desires his people to be free from sin. Free from sin. How do we understand this new Jerusalem that's written about here? It says, verse 2, And I saw a holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Why does it say that? Because the city was pure. In verse 8, it says, No one in that city will be a cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. Same thing in verse 27. Nothing unclean, no one who practices abomination or lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lord always desired to see his people free from sin. And it's expressive of that city of Jerusalem, which is absolutely pure and filled with people who are without sin. That's you, that's you and me, free of sin. Now, um, in our age, we say our holiness is positional. We have positional holiness. What does that mean? Well, when God looks at you, he sees you through Christ. So positionally, you're holy, but you're not. Uh, you have the process of sanctification. See, there's positional holiness, and then there's actual process of sanctification. So what do we do? We're sinful, and we confess our sins. Now, remember what 1 John says, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and do what? Cleanse us from all, now wait a minute, wait, all unrighteousness. That's a promise. That's a promise that can be fulfilled as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ keeps on cleansing us from all sin. But as we confess our sin, which is walking in the light, is confessing and pressing on and and drawing near to Christ, one day he will do what? Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It will happen one day. Revelation 19, 20, 21, 22. He will do that. He will do that. 
Now some will say, well, what's this big deal? You guys, you Christians, you're always talking about being holy. I mean, we're only human, right? I mean, come on, you know, we're not perfect. I found an illustration about what if 99%, 99 99.9% is good enough? Let me read you a couple of consequences. If 99.9% is good enough, then today, in the first 60 minutes, 22,000 checks will be deducted from the wrong bank account if 99.9% is good. If 99.9% is good enough, 12 babies will be given to the wrong parents. If 99.9% is good enough, over 268,000 tires will be shipped this year to customers. If 99.9% is good enough, 18,000 pieces of mail will be mishandled in the next hour. If 99.9% is good enough, 20,000 incorrect drugs prescriptions will be written in the next 12 months. If 99.9% is good enough, 107 incorrect medical procedures will be performed by the end of this day. You see, what's wrong with this world? It's us. (laughs) It's sinners like me and you multiplied by 6 billion. What's wrong? (laughs) You are. I am. Multiplied by 6 billion people, and you read the newspaper, that's what's making this world so messed up. But one day, one day, that will all change. We will be free from sin. Because the Lord has always wanted to make his people free from sin. Now, in the Bible, it says, 2 Timothy 2.19 It says, the Lord knows those who are his. Did you know that? The Lord knows those who are his. That's interesting. You see, sometimes those of us in the church, we can kind of get somewhat judgmental. Have you seen that? Well, if you go to that church, you're probably not really a Christian. Or if you did that, well, you're probably not a Christian if you did that. We, We have a tendency to be picky and choosy, and we get to determine who is in heaven and who is not. But guess what the Lord, what the Bible says? The Lord knows those who are his. Over the years that I've been a Christian, I found Christians in the strangest places. <laughs> and I've learned just to give people a little grace because the Lord knows those who are his. Do I know? Well, many times I think I do. But I have to refrain from being judgmental because the Lord knows those who are his. But the, do you know what the second half of the verse is? But let everybody who names the name of the Lord depart from wickedness. <laughs> There's, see, the Lord knows, but all of us, each one of us, if we name the name of the Lord, we are to depart from wickedness. From wickedness. Hmm. How does that work? Because you're wicked. I'm wicked sometimes, aren't we? How's that work? Going back to 1 John 1, 9, we walk in the light. What does it mean to walk in the light? It means to strive for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But when we fall short of that, it's to confess our sins. Continually recognizing 
What is one of the chief characteristics of a Christian? His willingness to readily repent, to see that he's wrong and say the words, I am, I am, I am wrong. Let's all say it together. I am wrong. Oh, that's the first time in many weeks you've said that. I am wrong. That's a characteristic of a Christian, recognizing that God is right and we are wrong and confessing our sins. And his promise is, if you'll keep doing that, one day he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Doesn't happen in this world, but soon and very soon we're going to see that worked out in our life. Amen? Okay. So the Lord desires to be in the midst of his people, to give his people eternal life, and to free his people from sin. And finally, the Lord desires to provide for his people, verses 19 through 21. Now, this is interesting. This is, can you imagine this? Look at verse 16. This city is 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Now, the United States is what, about, is it about 3,000 miles? I think it's about 3,000 miles, plus or minus a couple of miles. So that's, the city is half the way from here to the middle of the United States. And then all the way up, 1,500 miles. But here's the one that blows my mind. It's 15 miles, 100 miles high. And then, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, now we know the Bible's not, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, hold on. 1,500 miles. Now, some say it's a cube. It's a giant cube, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Giant cube. That's what it is. Someone said to me, and I checked it out this morning, oh, wait a minute, do you remember? The Holy of Holies was a cube. Did you know that? I think it's 12 cubits by 12 cubits by 12 cubits. Oh, that's interesting. Other people say it's more like a pyramid. 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles and it comes to a point 1,500 miles that way. It's like a pyramid. Okay, now why is that? Well, you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's ah, interesting. Now, now here's, here's a really, here's a good one. Uh, McGee, in his commentary, says that the city doesn't land on earth. It comes down from heaven, but it circles the earth. It circles the earth. It doesn't say that it landed on the earth. It says it came down from heaven to the earth. McGee says it's very possible that it circles the earth like a giant city shining its light all over the earth. And we who have new bodies are now able, like Jesus, to go from earth to the city and to other places, perhaps. So interesting. Now, it's not spelled out here. This is all kind of supposition. But you see, it's, it's something beyond our own understanding of how this is all going to be worked out. Now, as we read the verses, it seems like, wow. I mean, everything that's used to the city is, and it's kind of like uh, the very basic things are the most precious things on the earth. Did you see that? That which is precious in the earth is foundation stones and streets. The streets are made of gold. Now, that goes back to the original plan of God. Do you know that? In the garden, he provided what? Everything. It was perfect. It was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. 
Only when man fell was he escorted out of the garden, and then he had to work with the sweat of his own brow to provide. But in the garden, the Lord provided everything for him. And this is an expression of what God has always wanted to do, to provide for his people. And in the city is an expression of what God does. You see, God doesn't make no junk, someone once said. When he does it, it's two thumbs up, and when he does it, it's done right, not like we can. Now, look at your life. You can say, boy, you know, there's times in my life I've really made a mess of things. And you have to say yes, but God never does that that way. What he wanted to do for you was perfect, absolutely perfect. You see, what's the point? The point is, if we let him do it his way, he will do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what we ask or think. You see, when God does it, he does it first class all the way, all the way. Beautiful city. An incredible sight. Now, I don't know whether it's going to land or how he's going to work it out. I like the idea of it kind of circling the earth. That's kind of interesting. Years ago, when we were meeting in the um, Performing Arts Building over at Mission Rio High School, I lived right around the corner from this building, just around the corner on Alcoba. And every Sunday morning, I had to drive past this building. Now, most of you know that this was Edwards Cinema. I think it had two. I think there was two theaters here, if I remember right. There might have been three, but I think it was two. Two theaters here. But when they begin to build the multiplexes, uh, they abandoned the building. Edwards abandoned the building. And it kind of sat empty for a couple of months, if not a year, I can't remember. But then uh, Mission Vieille Vineyard were able to purchase the building. Pastor Eddie Pure, a good friend of mine, he purchased the building and he gutted the whole building and made this what you see here this morning with the Sunday school rooms and the sanctuary and the youth room downstairs. A vineyard did that. And as I would drive past the building, because I knew Eddie, and I think, well, isn't that nice? The Lord was so good to provide for the vineyard at Mission Viejo and uh, this wonderful building. I thought, that was really nice. But then also in the back of my heart, I thought, yeah, but what about us? What about us? I mean, he's doing some neat, neat thing for that, those vineyard people. We know what vineyard people are like. <laughs> and we're still over in Mission Viejo High School in the Performing Arts Building. You know, and there was a little bit of, you know, I have to confess, there was a little bit of jealousy, envy. I was there. But little did I realize that Pastor Eddie and the vineyard were building it for us. <laughs> they built it for us, this wonderful building. You see, I thought I knew God's plan, but he did what? Exceedingly, abundantly, be all, all we could ask or think. And here we find ourselves. We moved in this building, put some new carpet down, a couple of paint jobs and a little plumbing problems. We fixed those. And bingo, bango, we've taken possession of the building. And we're almost just about six years from paying off the mortgage. You see what God has done? It was beyond anything we could have ever planned. Why? Because when he wants to do, he wants to provide for his people. That's in his heart. That's in his heart. Why would you want to frustrate that? 
Why would you want to keep from God doing exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think in your life? Why? Why? If these things are true, the Lord wants to be in his midst. If he wants to give you eternal life, if he wants to free your sin, and he wants to bless you beyond anything you could ever think of, why would you frustrate that? Why would you say no to that? It blows my mind. When I talk to people and they say they don't want to have anything to do with Christ. Why? Well, I asked the question, so I came up with two answers. First of all, I think there's people who just don't believe the gospel. Now, you know what the gospel is? Jesus came. He was God's only son. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. And then he was resurrected on Easter Sunday. And if we'll believe in that, we have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. That's essentially the gospel if you go back to 1 Corinthians 15. It's just really simple. The gospel is Christ died on the cross paid the penalty for our sins and resurrected. If you believe that, you have eternal life. That's the gospel. Some people say, I can't, I can't believe that, Pastor. You, know, that's, you mean one person's death paid the penalty for every sin that's ever been committed? Yeah, that's what you're saying? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, I don't believe that. Okay, well, then I come, to, I come back to another question. Do you believe in a creator God? Do you believe in a higher power, that there's something that created this? Yeah. You'd have to be stupid to believe that it all came from nothing. Although there's some people believe that. Yeah, I believe there's a creator God. I believe, I believe in a higher power. Let's just go with that. How about a higher power? Yeah, I believe in a higher power. Well, why don't you just ask the higher power to show himself? Just, just say, higher power, show yourself. Now, the reason I say that is because the Bible says, if you'll draw near to God, He'll do what? He'll draw near to you. Just ask him. Ask him. Higher power? Show your power. (laughs) Show me. And I think he will. The second reason is some people don't want to change the way they're living. They kind of know about Jesus and the Bible, but eh, they like their way. They're living their life. And they know if they... Except Christ, there's some things that are going to have to change, and they don't want to change. So they like living in their dysfunctional life, and, and we Christians would say living in sin. Now, let me make a supposition. If, uh, if sin were, the minute you sinned, if it was increasingly painful, would you ever sin? Eh, probably not. What does that mean? Sin is fun. Sin is pleasurable. Come on. If it's a temptation, why would you be tempted to do something that's innately painful? So when you sin, there is a payback immediately. Amen? You're like, wow, that feels good. And whatever it is, okay? Isn't that true? However, sin, when it continues, what does it say? Romans 6.23. For the results or the wages of sin is death. Oh, death. That means death in you're going to die physically. Yes. But death also spiritually. You're dead. There's, no, there's nothing filling that emptiness in your life. You're dead. And then, according to this, you're going to experience the second death. Do you know what the second death is? Uh, here it is, verse 8. 
the lake of fire that burns with brimstone. This is the second death. And that goes on forever. Oh, no. Yes. See, the results of sin, they can be a lot of fun at first, but the consequences are unbelievable. Jesus said he came to bring life. The devil, however, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and to kill you, to kill you. C.S. Wright, C.S. Lewis, using uh, the analogy from uh, 1 Peter, which says he's like a roaring lion, says that the devil, here it is. This is C.S. Lewis. This is interesting. I love this. C.S. Lewis says the devil wants to eat your soul. He's like a roaring light. Just, he wants to eat you and destroy you. Why would you say yes to him and no to Christ? Why? That's the question of the morning, amen? God wants to give you. He wants to be in your midst. He wants to free you of your sin. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to bless you exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that you could ask, anything you could believe. My hope and prayer is that everyone in this room, everyone who's listening to this tape, maybe from now on and years later, will find the peace that passes understanding that only comes with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, we want to open our hearts to your word. It's so good to see what you've always wanted for us. We sometimes make you too small, God. We think we think wrong things about you. We think that we shortchange you so often. But in this passage, you've shown us what you have for us. May we rejoice, look forward. They say that the blessed hope of Christ, the coming of Christ. Help us to look forward to that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me this morning.